Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another Friday breakdown edition of the Southern Outdoors Podcast. We're sitting here with the ginger gunslinger himself, Jacob Myers. How you doing over there? I'm doing well, man. Listen, it's been uh, we've been we've been on a little, little hot streak recently. Yeah, so it's been it's been pretty awesome. And uh, actually, on this Friday breakdown, we've got a, this has been a pretty fun episode that we did with um, Benji Vote. God, my mind went blank today. <laughs> no, but with Benji Vote. Uh, from Arkansas, and actually diving into the, the topic of, um, you know, kind of hunting some of these backwater, you know, whitetails in these river bombs. And that's something we haven't, 
I'm sure it's probably been brought up in other episodes, but when he brought it up, it was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like mm-hmm. how much that flood timber plays a factor for like these bucks, not only like cruising, but how much they kind of stay in that water. Um, it was super fascinating. And the whole idea of hunting after like that peak breeding time period and kind of hunting that bottom of the bell curve, maybe of, of that rut where, you know, some of these doe fawns and these um, uh, yearling does are coming to heat uh, or almost like a secondary rut in this area. And he's kind of targeting those does and, and killing these huge mature bucks on public land doing it. It's awesome, dude. So. Yeah, it's really cool. I think we've heard Kyler Moppert um, talk about hunting in water like that. I think he's the only other one that we're, he's talking about taking a canoe or a John boat right up to the tree and climbing out of his boat into the tree and yeah. hunting. Actually, pretty cool. Actually, a P-Row probably. A P-Row, yeah. Uh, which is pretty neat. Um, oh, the only other one that comes to mind, which is kind of similar habitat, is Cody Smith, mm-hmm. I think, which was back in like- Oldie 20, but a goody. Yeah, like 2019, 2020. Yeah, that was, that was quite a while ago. And uh, he was killing, you know, hunting in, in the, the Delta, uh, Mississippi Delta- um, and doing similar stuff, again, hunting in areas, a lot of backwater, uh, flooded timber, you know, killing bucks and that kind of stuff. And to, again, look, super intimidating to me. And speak about Kyler. Yeah. Kyler has sent me photos and videos when we had him on last year. I think it was in December last year, or let's say December of 2021, uh, going into 2020, uh, when we had Kyler on, he talked about again, or he sent me a video before we did the podcast of this nice buck. Again, to me, look mature, and maybe it wasn't, but Kyler passed it. Walking through a flooded palmetto flat yep. that had like palmettos along with timber in it, and I mean, it's the water's you know halfway up the deer's leg, and he's just kind of easing through there. And Kyler was talking about like I'm hunting a trail out here in this backwater, or again, this flooded timber, and uh, you know, just like um, Benji said, you know, the bucks are using the same trails. Whether the water's where there's flood or not, if they can walk there, they're going to be walking that same spot, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, uh, that's a uh, uh, actually we were talking to somebody the other day. The place that that I might go hunt early February. Oh yeah, yeah. Who was it? We were talking to somebody who hunts that place the other day. Rock, Rocky. And it might have been no, I don't think it was Rocky. They were talking about how he knew somebody who kills really big bucks out there, and he throws on hip waders and he walks way out in those swamps and finds high ground and hunts it. And I can't remember who it was. I now. do. Remember. I think it was on the SOA hunt that we talked to somebody. Maybe. No, I remember. I'm almost. I'm, was it Rocky? I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it was Rocky. Uh, interesting. Well, anyways, either way, same concept though, like walking way out in that water and everything. Because we were talking about Ben and Ben and Mr. Yeah. Benny doing it. Yeah, it was Rocky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Benny did that back in the day out there. Yeah. He, uh, he would he would cross those big swamps and go get on like a high spot somewhere out there or get on the other side of it or something like that and he had he had a bunch of luck out there he actually had a hunt similar uh, to one we had on the SOA where he had like four bucks chasing a doe. Well, was, didn't you see a buck down there in a slough in flooded water last year or two years ago? Down oh there? yeah yeah yeah. But yeah. again, it was in backwater. Yeah, he was uh, he was crossing one of those little sloughs, and on the sides it was it was shallow, like flooded timber, but it was like deep in the middle, like he was swimming. Or he stopped, he stopped in the middle because he saw me. We saw each other at the same time, and he stopped right in the middle of it. And this is like a good rack buck, um, and he stopped right there, and all that was coming up out of the water was his head, and he just was like standing there, 
And it was like deep enough where literally only his head was out of the water. He was like staring at me. Cause I, like when I saw him at first, I was like, dang, that looks like a rack sticking out of the water. And I threw my binos up and looked. I was like, it is a rack sticking out of the water. And that joker was just standing there looking at me. That's so funny. Yeah. No, it's crazy. Like when you're in areas like that, like how. I guess accustomed those deer are to that kind of water. Like, you know, I've heard other guys like, oh man, you know, you hear a lot of guys like deer aren't, aren't afraid of the water. Like they'll cross the water, no problem. Then you hear other guys, maybe other parts of the country, you're talking about like that water being kind of like a funnel, like they kind of work that edge of some of that flood timber. Mm-hmm. But again, mm-hmm. when it comes with some of these guys that hunt these swamps or these, you know, backwater river bottoms, seems like, again, that a lot of those big bucks want to be out in that crap, which again, to me is a little intimidating because I'm like, oh, dude, this is kind of weird. Like, you mm-hmm. know, hunting in, at least rubber boots, if not hip waders and some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's kind of interesting because, again, Benji's kind of, you know, playing off the hole, trying to find some feed trees, feed sign on those little ridges. And, again, when he talks about ridge, it's just dry ground. It's a little high spot going out there. Yep. And, um, you know, this this little high spot growing through that backwater and those bucks kind of cruising in the backwater, in that flooded timber, just off the edge of that uh, that high spot, you know, scent checking for does. I'm like, that's so freaking crazy, dude. Yeah, no, that's it's a cool hunt, um, and it, it's very feed tree centric, and I feel like that's definitely a pattern that we've noticed with all these guys that we talk to, especially all the guys that hunt this area, because we've we've interviewed several who hunt either this area or areas very similar to it. Uh, Jonathan Moreland, uh, Richard Fott is another one. There's probably one or two others Clifton, that I'm forgetting. Clif- Clifton Denny, Clifton Denny, and pretty much all those guys like to in these river bottoms focus on feed trees and stuff um except for clifton he, he, except clifton yeah he's like i'll oh, forget a free tree well he hunts more like like ridges though too i mean that's that, start, that's what we talked to clifton about yeah get started in the bottoms but then yeah you know found found a lot of success in, in the ridges so yeah yeah and it's just it's a cool topic for me because those open woods man me and you've talked about doing that hunt for a long time now and i think that both of us like we want to do it, but maybe we're like a little hesitant to pull the trigger because that would be the kind of hunt where if you gave yourself like five days to like go on a big river bottom hunt and like you're going to do something like what Benji's talking about, I feel like that hunt is going to be real, real hit or miss. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna, there's going to be a lot of walking and if you hit it on the first day, you're going to have a really good hunt. If you hit it on the last day, you're going to have a really bad hunt. Well, so, I mean, that's kind of how it was in Arkansas with me this year, like where we hunted Again, there's some of that backwater, those backwater sloughs and stuff. The water wasn't high yet when we were there, but you can tell, like, it floods a good bit. Mm-hmm. And um, you get a lot of open hardwoods. And, again, that's a lot of stuff that we were hunting in and around. And it's like, it's like what's going to pinpoint a deer go from spot to spot? But uh, so Benji, one thing that he mentioned that kind of hit home that I thought about after we did the episode was when I was in Arkansas, you'd be in this, this open timber, and you would see down trees. Like what he's talking about, like treetops and stuff like that's falling down. And that's where you'd find the bucks on. And and it kind of mm. didn't hit me until afterwards. And it seems like, I guess, like where I was at, they're doing a lot like what Benji was talking about. They're kind of bouncing from treetop to treetop. Or if you have a bunch of treetops down, they're kind of <clears throat> staying you know, in and around that spot if they can. Yeah. And that's where you find a concentration, especially rubs. If you go back and, and listen to that outro that we did talking about that hunt, especially the first time you went this year, mm. uh, mm-hmm. you were like... Uh, you were first of all having trouble finding sign, but then when you did find sign, you're like, I don't know what they're doing. Like, I can't figure these things out. Like, I don't know where they're coming from. I don't yeah. know where they're going. Looking back on it, so th- that's what it was. Is yeah. you're just finding like just sign out in the middle of these open woods. Yeah. Like, what is this? Or like again, now looking at it, you know, Benji's talking about you know those bucks trying to get on some kind of edge 
that they can uh, break up their outline. You know, the most subtle thing. And now looking at it, that's exactly what they're doing. Because mm-hmm. there's this one spot we're out there on the muzzleloader hunt, and I'm like, man, like I'm finding tracks. There's feed sign, but I'm like, I can't tell. It was mostly feed sign was what I was talking about. And I'm like, I don't know where these deer are coming from. And they must have been kind of this skirting, you know, some of these little. Th- when I say thick. It's thick for like 300 open, 300 yard open wood hardwoods. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Where I mean, it's, thick, it's like, okay, I can't see 100 yards now. Mm-hmm. Like that. There's a little buffer of something. Yeah. And uh, that's where you'd find like a lot of tracks and trails running down. So it made it challenging. Um, but yeah, I mean, guys like Benji are the ones that like, that is extremely impressive when you can hunt that kind of terrain and habitat and you're extremely successful in those areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's extremely impressive for sure. And that's why I was curious too about asking him how much of it stays consistent year to year. Because, I mean, especially in hill country, we know guys who they find their spot and they hunt that spot every year and they kill a good deer there every year. And it's like their little honey hole. And I'm I'm curious on if that kind of holds true for guys in those kind of areas as well. Because if it's so feed tree centric and it's such open woods like that, I figured it would probably like move around. And he said that it, it kind of does, you know, but yeah. there are things that stay the same. Yeah, like like slew, like gaps between slews, you could do that. Um, and he talked about that, like little pinch points that stay year after year, you could do it the water levels are saying. And that's kind of like where we were at. Like there was a couple slews that um, there's one that we found. There's two giant slews and they're, they neck down and get probably 75 yards apart from each other. And when this is the water's kind of a little low, actually it was real low because we had trouble getting kayaks in there. And uh, that probably would be an awesome rut spot. And we talked about that a little bit. Uh, me and Thomas did, and we talked about it on the episode. But it was one of those spots that the canopy covered, like you talk about thick. It was so viney and crap in there. There's a ton of deer sign, but you're sitting mm-hmm. in a spot looking at one deer trail where like multiple, multiple trails are coming into it. And you will not, you can probably hear the deer coming. Mm-hmm. You ain't going to see him until he is right there or sh- that doe is right there. Uh-huh. And you're like, okay, you can gun hunt. You could hunt with a bow, but I mean, you better be standing up. You better be ready because they're popping out and like, you're going to see him for a split second and then they're probably going to be gone. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of wish I'd asked Benji about this a little bit more, but to me, the way he was talking, it sounds like the funnels and stuff are like very secondary to his main hunting style. I mean, that that's kind of the name of the game for a lot of people, and a lot of people talk about that as their first and foremost tactic. But yep. uh, he he is it almost kind of sounded like a little bit of an afterthought to him. Yeah, yep. Well, it, and maybe it's one of those things that's not as consistent. You got to think about that too. You know, mm-hmm. based on bass crops, that funnel may not be that hot one year compared to the other year, based off what the mass is doing. Yeah, you know, they may not be concentrated. They may not be moving through there all that much because. Funnels are great, but you need some does in the area, and it needs to be a really good funnel that a buck, like, he needs to go through that spot yeah, for you to be able to kill. Now, there's a guy, I've been wanting to get him the podcast, and uh, maybe we'll get him a podcast at some point in the future if he decides to come on, but he's in that same same area of the country, part of Arkansas. He's killed, a, a, I think, three deer over 170 inches over there, and um, he, I think I know who you're talking oh, about. Oh, you know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> and... Um, that guy that you mean we know uh, or know of, uh, and I've talked to, he's actually hunting. It's a funnel in one of those areas. Mm. It's not features. It's a funnel using boat access, and it kind of you know it's a thick you know his spot the way he described it, you know a lot of saplings in this one area pinched down and kind of like a, a thick spot around the edge of the river where I think there's like, he's talking about there's some sloughs and stuff there too, and this the big deer get pushed through there like they when there's does there big bucks are gonna hang out in that thick spot and he's talking about. 
killing two of his deer that are over 170 inches in that same spot out of the same tree. That's a heck of a spot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the crazy thing is that, you know, that real, you know, the real big deer that got killed, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When he shot that deer, there was a deer bigger than that, 35 yards from him, and he couldn't get a shot at it. <sighs> and the deer, I think he killed, I think it was in the 80s, 180s. Mm. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, I wouldn't be too upset. I'd be like, yeah, I'll take that one. <sighs> yeah, no. It's like... <laughs> It's like, do I want to kill a 180 or I want to kill a deer? Two hundo. Yeah. Or, you know, about to break Close it. to it. Yep. Uh-huh. Mm. So, um, I don't know, but it's, again, I, I highly, highly, highly look up to a lot of these guys that are, like Benji, hunting that kind of area because, dude, I mean, it's challenging, especially if you're coming from, like, hill country, stuff that you and me are more comfortable hunting. Like, you're hunting, like, like some topography. Yeah. It, it's so few and far between, or you have to really think of topography completely different. Mm-hmm. Topography goes from you know, saddles, pinches, you know, points, benches, stuff like that, to three-foot-high ridges, sloughs, and water is, like, part of that topography, like that those low spots. Yeah. Um. So, you like, you really have to have, like, a mindset change. But, again, it's something that is definitely on your mind, you know, both of our radars. It's something we want to try and experience. And, it like, you know, like a lot of listeners listen to podcasts, you know, we're trying to – we're learning, too. Mm-hmm. Like, we are trying – the reason why we're doing this podcast is – we want to learn how to become a more efficient and effective whitetail hunter, and especially in different areas. And we want to experience that. And uh, it's cool when you get guys on like you know Benji uh, and Richard Fod and some of these other guys that are kind of in that you know neck of the country who are successful hunting that kind of stuff, dude. It's fun. Um, yep. Now let me ask, what is your take on you know he he's talking about like that sweet spot again for him in his area of the state. You know, they kind of had that mid to late November rut. Yep. And he's like, yeah, I hunt that. I hunt during that time, but like his sweet spot for killing big mature bucks is December, like when most of the guys are out of the woods. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good subject because it kind of ties into a lot of other stuff we've been talking about lately. And I don't know, like that late rut time frame is not a time frame that has been kind to me over the years. And yep. you know what? I'm going to be a hundred percent honest though. That really probably has more to do with just like my hunting style and being that after christmas like i'm uh, like i'm i'm like rabbit hunting and stuff at that point a lot of times like or or bouncing some another spot yeah i'm bouncing somewhere else like i'm either yeah i mean when it comes to post rut i mean one of the main places i hunt ruts kind of over after new year's and when i was younger we hunted it and we struggled really hard and that's when we would switch over to small game. Because honestly, at that point, too, I'd be kind of burned out on deer hunting a little bit. And so I'd, I'd squirrel hunt, I'd rabbit hunt. More recently, I'd duck hunt, or I'd I'd bounce and I'd go to a different area and chase it right there. So, like, my, honestly, that, that late rut time frame, my experience is so limited. Like, it's intriguing, especially with, people haven't heard it yet, but the conversation we just had with a biologist about the rut, which you guys will hear on Monday, fascinating discussion. But just, like, the science behind the rut and how, like, essentially the number of does coming into heat, like, ramps up at the beginning, and it goes up, 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 like a bell curve, it peaks, and then it goes down, down, down. And we're hunt- we're talking about hunting, like, that lower, that backside of it, where there's not as many does coming in. And I can see why that would be good, for sure, but I like that earlier part of the rut better for, like, a variety of reasons, one of which being... When you're hunting the front end of that rut, mo- a lot of bucks are still alive. When you're hunting the back end of that rut, a lot of them suckers done got killed. Okay, they got run over, they got shot, like a bunch of bad stuff has happened to them, you know, and you're hunting like less 
bucks, you know, and that does make a difference in some areas. Especially, man, you go to some of these WMA hunts that we go to, they kill some bucks, man. Like, it puts a dent in the population. You can't tell me it doesn't make a difference. Uh, so, I don't know. That, that you've had... I want to bounce that back at you because you've had better luck post rut. You have gotten in on like late rut action before and had some really really good hunts. I mean, I've I've seen this. I I'm trying to think. I don't think I've killed a buck. Hold on. I don't think I've killed a buck during that time frame. But yeah, I've seen good deer still on does again. Like after most guys have kind of forgot about you know rutting activity. Um, but again, it's so hit or miss. Like you've got to be in an area, which again, guys, you're going to learn more about this on Monday's episode, where you have like a doe family group where you got a couple does that just, they come like, when they come into heat, they come into heat a very specific time and it's a little bit later after Mm -hmm. majority of the does have already done it. Um, And I mean, dude, like you said, it's, um, it can be challenging. I mean, I think one thing about maybe where Benji's at, and I didn't ask him all this, but if I had to guess, he's probably hunting like one or two very specific, like, you know, pieces of public land, and he, like, just lives and breathes those areas. Yeah. With us, we have so many options that we can bounce, you know, after this rut, you know, say in, like, more, like, central part of the state is, like, kind of done, we can bounce to another part of the state, you know, an hour or two hours away mm-hmm. and get back into that early part of that rut activity. Yeah. Um. So maybe we're, it's a little more, like, of a distraction for us, like, okay, like, you know, it's kind of, Mm-hmm. Everything's all shot up. Everything's kind of yeah. You're you know, talking to your buddies. They're like, so and so's on fire right now. We're like, let's get in the truck. Let's go. Yeah, let's drive. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that's a big part of it too. I think if you were hunting one specific piece of public land and you kind of focus on it, kind of like last week's episode with Rocky Smith that you did, mm-hmm. that one I think yeah, that was last week's episode. Last, yep. um, you know, he killed that big twelve point big deer, seven and a half year old buck truly post rut like that area is done up. done gone done out. like it's not even like you know rutting activity is like post complete post rut uh which is i mean that's a challenge dude and he did it with a bow that was the most because I, I wasn't on the episode so i was listening to the episode and he's like he shot with his bow because i thought he shot with a gun and uh i'm like holy crap glutton for punishment i guess man you know i was like god i'm like you're you know you're going two. i was impressed two plus miles in with a with a bow hunting a specific spot that you know he's had this real big mature buck coming through and uh fairly consistently is what it sounded like on the episode and just killed that deer i'm like god dude, that is this it's crazy you just don't hear a lot of guys doing that down here where we're at like you really don't unless you're on private land you're hunting food plots maybe corn piles stuff like that bait stations um catch a buck kind of slipping up you know trying to you know feed back up after that rut period um dude i mean it's a challenge it really is. It's crazy. But, you know, there's some guys that have a ton of success. And, again, Benji in his area of, of Arkansas seems to have it down to nearly a science. And he talks about in the episode that, you know, there was a guy who seemed to be kind of like a mentor to him that had passed away. And I was like, man, when he said that, I was like, God, I want to interview that guy. <laughs> but was talking about, you know, this older gentleman having a ton of success, killing a lot of really, really big deer in that December time period when most guys are back out of the woods. They're not – you know, they're thinking about duck hunting. They're thinking about doing other things. Yep. And, uh, you know, going out there and killing big deer. You know, kind of late, late part of the rut, getting into potentially like a secondary rut uh, with those doe fawns and those uh, yearlings. So it's just crazy. When you think turkey calls, think of houndstooth. 
Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configurations. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB Hen, some days I might like the Ghost Cut. Some situations I might like the Country Girl Call, you know, that I can cut on really hard, where on other situations I might like the All Pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation. And hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP24. That's SOP24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50 and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50 and the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with Mike and Sam we were all super impressed I mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and Andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So, guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T R U L O C K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. What is your take on the mass crop situations he talked about, where he was saying that that on really good mast years, he actually doesn't really like that because it makes it hard to narrow them down? I mean, you hear a lot of other guys talk about that. I mean, I, I get it from two perspectives. Like, I know guys like, oh, man, it's a good mass crop year, you know, ton of food on the ground, you know, really disperses the deer. It can be super tough. Um, and and I, I totally see that. Again, I don't hunt – we don't really hunt areas where we deal with that a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see that, you know, if you have thousands of acres of, you know, hardwood timber, a lot of oaks down there, um, different species of oaks, and they're all dropping, especially at like different points of the season, how that can be crazy challenging. And then on the flip side, if it's a really sparse year, you have a lot of guys, like not necessarily from the show, but like you'll have guys on Facebook that are complaining like, oh man, there's no mass this year. It's hard to hunt. But it seems like if you can find the, if you put a lot of boot, you know, boot leather to the ground and cover ground, you can find, you know, those few trees that are dropping. If you find that, you could have an unbelievable hunt um, and find a ton of deer. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's a double edged sword. It's like you know, some guys like to hunt when it's there's a lot more mass because maybe they can, you know, find some of that sign and it's maybe it's not as concentration, but they can get on a few deer. Versus if it's you know really sparse you might have to cover miles and miles and miles to find those features. But when you find them, it could be extremely rewarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I kind of wish I'd asked him too. Because when he was talking about that, I was thinking about the year we had around here where like, I shot that doe in November with my bow. And when I posted it, there's some other guys that live around here who messaged me and they're like, dude, where are you finding oaks that are dropping? 
you know, like they're like nobody's like nobody was finding any acorns at all this year. And it, like guys around here, they struggled with it. And I think one thing that I've learned, at least around where we're from, and this is what I'm curious on Benji's area too, is if they don't have acorns to eat, no problem. They, they got plenty of other stuff. They're, they're going to go feed on some green briar, some honeysuckle, some whatever. Like there's so much green stuff, especially in these pine thickets that, I mean, uh, uh, they just stay out in that stuff. That's what that doe did. There was one white oak dropping right there, and I saw the doe like an hour before I shot her, and she was like way out in this pine thicket, or way out on the edge of a pine thicket with like this kind of fresh cut over between me and her, and she got out in that cut, and she was just eating literally everything that was green for an hour. She's just walking around feeding for like an hour, and then she finally ended up making her way over to this white oak, and that's I shot her under the white oak, but, I mean, she fed under all kinds, like, she had plenty of stuff out there. She was just going to get some deer candy or whatever. So, I'd be curious on those river bottom stuff. I guess you've hunted that some of that. Like, are there some other food sources out there that you could put potentially key in on when you have, like, a bust year? Yeah, I mean, in October, I was there in October, there was a ton of green. Um, you had muscat on vines in a lot of places. I mean, there's a ton of greenery still around. The problem would be... And this is, again, something that would have been interesting to ask uh, Benji is, you know, when you have a couple hard frosts, especially if you had one kind of early in the season, mm-hmm. how does that change stuff for, you know, food sources? Because, um, well, you know, when I was there during the muzzleloader hunt compared to the, the gun season in Arkansas, you know, they had some cold weather come through and the woods did look different. I mean, yep. there was, a, there still was some greenery for sure. But it was a lot less than what it was in mid-October when we were there. Mm, yeah, it was. Because, um, I mean, mid-October, I mean, there's so much for them to eat. I mean, there's so much greenery around mm. that they can feed on. Um, again, again greenbrier is part of it, but there was a crap ton of honeysuckle, muscadines everywhere. Um, I mean, you had a ton of different options for them. But, again, where we were at, it was a really good acorn crop, specifically for water oaks. Uh, where we were at, had a bunch of water oaks. And, uh, I mean, even in October, some of them were dropping, but you also had a bunch of, uh, again, uh, it was, uh, overcups. Yes. Overcups. When you found overcups, it was crazy sign. That's when you were finding like, there was, there was, I remember me and Thomas went to a spot and, uh, actually no, I was by myself on this one and found, it was like seven or eight overcups and they were huge trees in the swamp, right in like a backwater, like little lake area uh it had some sloughs and stuff and dude the the deer sign was cr- the tracks I mean, there i didn't see a bunch of rubs it wasn't like what uh benji was talking about where like you get in there and you can find a ton of rubs but again it was mid-october but um just the tracks was crazy plus there was a ton of persimmons mm-hmm. still on the trees still dropping and the deer were hammering them yeah uh, but again the one area i found that i was like i don't know how i can hunt this because it was a skinny little, you want to call it a ridge, a little dry spot that went out into like this backwater kind of uh, swamp area. And that thing was probably 30 yards wide and probably 150 yards long. And there was very little to any trees to get in. If you got in a tree, you'd be skylined. You couldn't get up more than probably six, eight feet. If you sat on the ground, it was bare enough on the ground, there was like no cover. So I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to hunt here. I don't know how you could sit here. <clears throat> But deer were hammering it. And you can see the deer are walking through that water coming from like another peninsula, uh, like yeah. across this like little backwater area, and they're coming over there to feed on those um, persimmons and the overcups and everything else. So 
Uh, I mean, it's a challenge. It, again, I was in there, and it's just like, God, dude, this is tough. It really is. Like, you find the food source, but I'm like, I don't know how you'd set up here and even try to kill one of these deer, let alone, like, you know, I never found any big tracks in those areas. Um, so, like, you know, it didn't seem like there was a lot of bucks necessarily moving through there. Uh, but even if there was, I'm like, dude, it'd, it'd be a challenge to try killing those deer during that time of year when we were there. Yeah, I could see how that, uh, yeah, I could definitely see how that would be a challenge. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of go both ways on it. I, I've, I've personally actually struggled more on years where it's like a bust, like for uh, like any kind of mast, where there's just like hardly any mast at all. Those are the years that I, I typically actually struggle. And I think it's because, like what I mentioned before, like they got they got so much stuff in the thickets that they can go eat that it's almost like the, the hard mast is a thing that kind of draws them out of those thickets where we can actually get a crack at them. Yep, 100%. And when it's not there, they're like, okay, I'll just stay in and, here. And again, it's, it's all relative because the area we're talking about, mostly a lot of like your hardwoods, your oaks are going to be in your SMZs, your mm-hmm. stream management zones, uh, down these draws, down these ditches, down these creek bottoms. And if it's not in one of those areas, you're talking pines. And that makes it extremely tough on the idea that, you know, if you don't have that mass crop, like you said, they don't have to come out of the pines. Mm-hmm. Like they can feed all in those pines, all in the, again, honeysuckle, muscadines, freaking greenbrier, goldenrod. I mean, there's so much browse in that stuff that they can feed on where when you have a good, you know, bumper crop around where we're at, it brings them out in a little bit more open areas where, like you said, you get a visual on the deer. You know, you probably get shot opportunities, especially bow season. Um, I mean, it's just, it seems a lot more efficient. And even like guys like, you know, uh, Scott Seals, you know, talked about like if you can find, you know, in these areas where we're like, where we're talking about like a really good uh, wide oak early bow season, that's when you could have like your chance to kill like your biggest buck ever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's kind of what's worked for him in the past. But again, few and far between. And if you don't have a good mass crop in our area, it's again super, super tough to get one of those shots at one of those bucks. Cause again, they don't have to come out of that thick stuff because all the food's in the thick stuff. Yeah, definitely. Well, I would definitely like to go climb a tree over some water <clears> and shoot a deer walking through the freaking flooded timber. That would be awesome. That would be so fun. That's uh, just a cool image in my head, It'd be man. one hell of a blood trail to try to follow. Y- you've shot a deer in the water before, like standing like in like ankle deep water or whatever. Call it backwater, yeah. And the on that blood trail wasn't didn't you say like you could like see the blood? Yeah, so this that was weird. Okay, I don't know if this is normal. I don't know if this is like a coincidence based off the conditions we were dealing with. So I shot a doe fawn, okay? Like this little bitty little thing, okay? And uh when she, she came through, first off, a little work that this is probably four or three, four years ago, maybe. Uh maybe three years ago, because I think we've been doing the podcast for like a year. Well, anyway, she was coming through that. You could hear her sloshing, th- coming through the water. And when it first came out, I thought this deer was 70, like a 70-pound doe. No, nah, it was like... Pretty normal doe for that area. Yeah, it was like a 30-pound doe fawn. Yeah, that's yeah. terrible. But anyways, but when I... Freaking anyways, but wipe the, the milk from its lips. Yeah, but on the blood trail, of course, you got to pass through. Like, if you didn't get a pass through on that deer, God bless you. Like, But yeah, <laughs> got to pass through. Got to reevaluate well, your setup. Yeah, you get problems. You got real problems. Um, but when I got down and looked at... Where the air, the air was stuck in the water, like in the, again, the water is you know like ankle deep or so. You could see, I don't know how it happened, but like the how the blood came out of the deer, it settled in the water. So I don't, I don't understand how this happened, and it, it was not. I was expecting like blood's getting in the water is just going to disperse, and there's going to be zero blood. Well, somehow maybe it's because how shallow the water was. When I shot and I got down there, you could see the track of like 
that's in the in the water like uh of it like running off like in the the, the mud but the water had settled by the time i got down there and literally the blood had settled on leaves under the water and like you would you could go down there and like you could like you know get your hand in the water and like kind of fan it back and forth and blood would disappear but you could see some of the blood actually like because it deer blood a lot um uh, <laughs> on some leaves under the way it was the it was the weirdest freaking thing ever and again that you know that thing didn't go very far at all like 30 yards maybe 40 yards um but yeah that, that was weird i would not expect that most times again if i was going to shoot a deer and it's like knee deep water that's not going to happen i think you're not going to have any blood trail and you just better hope and pray you see the deer go down or start walking in the general direction the deer had run um through that water so yeah that would be crazy challenging especially you're talking bow hunting too yeah yeah definitely man that place yeah that place is good i kind of i kind of missed hunting that place this year could have it was you know we could have maybe next year maybe next year i don't know that was a that was a really fun place to hunt Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe maybe that rut hunt next year i don't know i don't know we'll see Kind of tempting, kind of tempting. Yeah, a little bit of backwater stuff there. Hey, that's something too. With the, when it comes to the backwater, that's something that after a couple of years of hunting that place, it took us a while to figure out because there is some backwater on that the the exact place that you're talking about, and we were trying to hunt like around it, you know, as though the deer were funneling around it. And then as we were hunting around it, we like with your deer and some other ones. We saw them just come right out of the middle of it. We're like, oh, like they don't care yeah, at all. Yeah, they're just in it. They're just in it. Like yeah. they're walking. I mean, this water. Oh, they got webbed feet. They're just walking in it. Yeah, I mean, this water is like chest deep on some of these deer, it's like a, depending on the spot. Yeah, depending on the spot. And they're just and they're just plowing right through it. They do not mm-hmm. care at all. So, yeah, that was, that was a neat learning lesson. And, you know, jumping deer out of it and everything, you're like, wow. I mean, it was literally just standing right there in that water that's like almost above my knee boots, you know just hanging out in it don't really mind so interesting stuff definitely a fun subject uh um we'll probably have Benji back on at some point there's always more man there's always more and and also the audience doesn't know this but we had some phone issues with this one dude big time so a little bit a little bit of background technical issues so i think we need to get him back on and have a little bit more in-depth conversation oh for sure with yeah. a better phone <clears throat> connection next time. yeah for sure, no doubt. Um, but no, it's again, it's interesting. You find guys like that super successful. You know, it's also cool when you find a guy like in that part of the state or that part of the southeast, who's you know his goal is to shoot a 140 inch deer, and this year he killed two deer that bigger, bigger. And the funny thing is when he sent us the photo of the second deer he shot. So the first deer he shot was 174, 176 inches, something like that. Huge, typical. Well, the second deer he shot. It was broke up and still scored like upper 140s. And the mass on that deer is is crazy. And I'm like, oh my, I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, it probably would have been, you know, potential in the 160s if he had everything on him. And uh, just, yeah, crazy, (sighs) Mm. crazy, crazy. Banner year right there, boy. I would say so. Um, But, you know, again, it's it's a challenge to hunt. You know, you got areas you can hunt, you know, that kind of habitat in a bunch of different states in the southeast. But, uh, again, the guys that do that, they're super successful. Again, this is something that I always tip my hat to those guys. Like, okay, there's something here that's, you know, way out of my comfort zone, but it's really interesting to kind of watch those guys and uh, listen to them when they're willing to share some of that information of, you know, how they're successful, the whole mindset, the process of how they go about doing everything. It's it's, it's fascinating. It really is. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, you got anything else on this one, or are we getting like we got a new review to read? Yeah, no, I saw I saw it. Was it Little Buck Nuts? No, no, no. no, 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 no Take it, cricket. Here you go. Come on, take it away. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I, actually, I saw this. 
<laughs> so you got a new review. This is, oh well, here you lo- you lost your phone, my man. Oh, what are you doing? All right, there you go. Okay, there you go. Anyway, so I got a new review. Um, this is from the infamous Thicket Cricket. <laughs> the, the infamous. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, anyway, so again, appreciate everybody's been leaving us reviews on iTunes. Again, if you enjoy the show, please go over to uh, iTunes if you're an iTunes listener, which I think 76% of you guys are. Apple per- Podcast now, bro. Or, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. It ain't been I- iTunes for years. I know. It's it? Apple Podcast. You know the deal. I if, still if, call it iTunes. If you have an iPhone, you know what we're talking about. But you go to Apple Podcasts, go leave us a five-star written review. Any five-star review is awesome, but five-star written review is awesome. Just kind of let us know what you're liking about the show, what you'd like want to see on future episodes. And uh, Thicket Cricket, which again, a lot of you guys know of Thicket Cricket if you're a long-time listener. Uh, he left us a five-star review, and and uh, the title is All She Wrote. Y'all, God. <laughs> Y'all hear that shot? I'm, I don't need to do it with an accent. Uh, Tyler Malone, I need you a little, little bit of twang. I, Come on. I, I know, I need Tyler Malone need to read Thicket Cricket. We need to get Tyler Malone to read all <laughs> Thicket Cricket, Cricket's uh, uh, freaking reviews. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, here we go. Y'all, y'all bear with me. Y'all hear that shot this morning? Buck nuts. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to do it with the accent. Come on, do it with the accent. <laughs> no. Come on. Oh, man. Yeah. Buck nuts eating beanie weenies while I'm dragging old sad daddy out. About time he put that thought. What is that? Uh, come on, you can read, can't you? <laughs> what is that? Oh, my gosh. Thesaurus. Oh, yeah. oh man, that's that's is that too big a word? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Girl Todd. Right. <laughs> oh god. Do you know what a, th- th- a thesaurus is? Uh yeah. mm. No. a good question for Google, isn't it? That's a good question. But a thesaurus It sounds like a dinosaur. Road chat. What kind of dinosaur is that? Uh, is that the one with the big teeth? Is that the one with the big teeth? <laughs> oh, wow. This review took a turn. Uh, okay. I said, bear with me now. <laughs> Look, you shouldn't have put a word in there we can't pronounce. We're from Alabama, man. That's how we say it in Alabamian. Uh, th- oh, God. Come on. You can do it. All right. About time you put that... Th- th- <laughs> Come on, you can do it. The Saurus. There you go. Damn. Oh, about time you put that. I can try to back that. I can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, About time he put that. Oh my gosh. Cannot get that. I can't get it out. It's too much. Is one syllable too many? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh my god! Ooh, ooh! Oh, okay. About time he put that thesaurus down. <laughs> All right, you got it. And started to bust out, and started to bust him out of the bed like the cricket. Up next on y'all's menu, or up next on the menu is y'all's birds. Mend them fences if y'all want to. Oh my god. It mend them Oh my god. <laughs> mend them fences if y'all want to. But the old cricket gonna got a got some hop to him. <laughs> mend them fences if y'all want, but the old cricket got some hop to him. That's it. That, that was a struggle. That's bust. beautiful. 
That was beautiful. That was everything I hoped that it was would the king, be. That one. was the King's English right there. That was the King's English. Yeah, the yeah. King's English. What, what's that? A little Rick and Bubba reference right there. The King's English. The King's English. There you go. Master of the King's English. Yep, that was uh, that Bill was Bubba. It. Yeah, they used to do a segment where it was Bubba reading uh, Shakespeare, and it it was very reminiscent of what you just did. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. Listen, I can pay attention. Hopefully, that was entertaining for you guys. Don't don't wreck a truck laughing at me. Well, it was entertaining for me. Yep. So, anyways. I uh, appreciate everybody listening. Y'all are going to want to tune in for Monday's episode. We got a biologist on. We're going deep on the deer science on stuff. deer rut. Yeah, which I know. Listen, for you, some of you guys, it's a little maybe a little little late rut, post rut time frame. But hey, still in the deep it's just south. A fascinating conversation. Fascinating I conversation. Mean, you'll get you'll definitely get some stuff out of it that you can use for hunting. But outside of that, it's just freaking interesting. Yep, hundred. Like something as a deer hunter, you will be very interested. It's, especially when we talk about genetics, genetics, restocking oh, yeah. genetics. Oh, dude, it's it is fascinating stuff. So, anyway. Uh, don't miss Monday's episode. Y'all are going to love it. Um, but anyways, appreciate y'all listening to this and uh, appreciate everybody who's left reviews. Y'all go make sure to leave some more. And uh, hey, if you're on Patreon, go make sure to check out our Patreon page, all the mapping videos that we've been throwing up on there. We got uh, mapping videos breaking down our, our mountain hunt and the terrain features that we hunted. We got a video uh, about how to identify thermal hubs and um, and a video about all about saddles and like specifically the kind of saddle that you shot your bucks in jacob and uh how that set up how the deer were traveling through there and doing like a big breakdown on that so also in that thermal hub video i take the time to differentiate like a thermal hub and a high crow's foot so two terms you might hear from time to time on the podcast so i give a visual of that on an actual map so go check them out uh, but anyways thanks everybody for listening we'll see you on monday's episode of the southern outdoorsman podcast Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool. I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right. Giving you a heads up here. So go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.